My time is yours. I was the last man standing. Welcome to the Vicious Circle. We are back again. Man, this has been a blast. I told you earlier, this has been fun, but I am tired, dude. No doubt. It feels like I told you, I explained to you how I feel. It's like in aviation, when you fly what's called under a hood, you're just flying by the instruments. And after like an hour, just watching these little gauges and trying to keep it this altitude, this airspeed, you know, this pitch. You get exhausted when you hit the ground. You're just your body's shaking. This is worse than any workout I've ever done. See, but, but it's been fun, dude. People listening, what we did is we got together a couple of weeks ago when we recorded the first four episodes, and then we got together today and we just banged off five. This is number five. Right. So yeah, I, I get then we Skype went over to Liverpool today too. That's yeah. six. So you had six interviews. Or we did five. Right. It's like, it's been a day. And having Barry, that's like having five more shows. <laughs> oh, Remember man. the movie The Jerk when the girl says to him, no, he says to her, he goes, yeah, it's, you know, they knew each other like three days, but it seems like six months. You know, the first day was like three days. <laughs> Remember that? Yes. Well, knowing Barry's like knowing him, a day is like seven years. <laughs> you know, we we could have gone so long with him. We will. Yes. Well, we are back with this one because now... We are still in WCW, and you're about to have the match. This is uh, for Clash of, another Clash of Champions against Night Stalker. What, did, what does it say next to your note? Uh, this has been rated as the worst match of the 90s. <laughs> I saw that, and it's like I had to write that down. It was. I'm telling you it was. And not to try to cover myself for this, but there's no way to do that. Now, what happened... When we talked about the finish at Halloween Havoc, part of that they said was because Ole was about to finish up, and the Clash of Champions was really it. And what he had done was he brought in a guy named Ox Baker who managed the Night Stalker, which was I think his name was Brian, Brian Clark. Turned out to be a friend of mine later, but he was then and he was always the rest of his career, and I like him, but he was horrible, uh, just not a good worker. And at that time, I wasn't either. You know what I mean? So it made for a really bad time, and so. What Oli's uh, idea was is try to screw the next Booker over, where they leave me in a good position. So they try to turn me babyface in that night. So I'm trying to do something I don't, I'm not comfortable with, and trying to let him do something I'm not comfortable with letting him do, and that's getting over on me. You know what I mean? So it didn't make for a good deal. And then Oli didn't care, so he didn't have any participant parts in the match. So he just so had worked with his kid. I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. That's only one time I remember being left just out in the in the dark like that, you know. But I like Brian. We rode together, me, him, and Carl Roulette. But um, that was a, maybe one of the worst matches. Well, no, one of the two worst matches. I think you're going to ask me about another match. It really rings out as maybe the second or third worst in the 90s. Really? Okay, now I'm interested. <laughs> um, well, I, when we come back into this next part, though, um, you're back in a tag match for a bit. So what was your relationship like with Dan? Because I know he, he helped you at that first part. Right. 
What, what was your relationship like with him then and even now? You know, we, uh, last time I saw Dan, we were at an autograph signing in New York, and just so happens they had it as the skyscrapers and Dan, Dan Spivey and Sid Vicious, you know, as well. So it was really cool always seeing him, man. Yeah? You had no problems with him, like, like on the road and doing... No. no, the thing was, Dan was like my big brother. You know, I listened to him. I never took, you know, gave him any crap. You know, he was being so kind to me. And again, taught me a whole lot. I mean, a whole, whole lot. Like I said, man, taught me how to get heat. And I, get, I did that pretty good. And he's one responsible for that. You can't be, have a better example to follow someone. And so I had everything there. And he was one of the people who really helped me get going. That's awesome. Because, yeah, we get to Starcade 90, and uh, you guys reunite. All right. What did it feel like being back in a team? Because you've been pushed singles for a while. Right. What was it like being back in a team? You know what? I swear it was, it was sort of cool for a minute, you know? I mean, being with him, too, and being that, that, you know, that tag team, it was, you know, again, I don't think of it like everyone else do, does either. I think every night it's just you're going to be in – you're never going to be the same thing for the – you know, six years. So you're going to do a, you know, phase where you go through some more tags or something like that. And that's just mm-hmm. give that guy a break or something. But, but uh, I don't remember a lot about it, but I do remember being back in it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, at that point, too, you're still in the Four Horsemen, correct? Right. Correct. Right. Okay. Because of the next note that I have, which is, I find t- absolutely fascinating. 1987, you were Lord Humongous. And now, at the end of 1990... You are Sid Vicious in the WCW, a member of the Four Horsemen. That is a huge jump in three years. Yeah, and you got to realize one of those years was for medical leave. Yeah. It took a year off to have, you know, have surgery and come back from that. So you're just talking, you know, really a year and a half. That's very true. Right. Not to pat myself on the back anymore when I need to. You know, you know sometimes you got to do it. You got to do it. <laughs> That's right. Because, no, I, I find that an amazing achievement. You went from the Continental and Territorial to the big show. The big show and so much transformation in the business happened. And that was something, too. I was able to relax, open my view for things, you know, especially the business. This is when it was all kayfabe. And so I was getting out when, you know, I remember a guy named um, Bob Blackburn was called the D.I. If you ask him if wrestling was fake or real, he was one of those guys that really gave it to you. Now, I didn't want to be that guy. I just wanted to say, man, don't ask me that. I don't know. Ask someone else. I'm not going to argue with you about that, you know. But uh, I was in that transition when that was getting out of the way, you know. So, again, I went through the right time. The change was happening. I, I was uh, the change in the business sometimes where I went. It was cool to be Sid at the moment. Very nice. Now, um, when you came back in 91, you, your first match or first televised match was a U.S. title shot against Luger. Right. Do you remember much of that match? You know, I really do. I had so many matches <clears throat> with Lex, dude. I'm not shitting. I think 2000, I mean, we worked, you know, me and him and Sting, we worked together more than anybody I worked with in my life. You know, we worked so many matches, I couldn't tell you which one was which. You guys were the staple there. Like. No, we were. And, and I'll tell you what, I enjoyed that, too, because uh, we had built a good, not, we weren't ever friends, the three of us. Uh, but we all had a good working relationship. And where here it was, again, I was able to hear the two top biggest stars in the business, work myself in position with them to be shoulder to shoulder and get respect, give them respect. I remember 
when it was me and Stan Hansen working tag matches against the two of those guys where Stan was like, don't sell anything. And those guys would look at me like, like, come on, buddy, give me a spot. And if I did, I got screamed at, but I always figured out something to do for them, you know. That'd be a tough spot. Yeah, you got one person saying don't, the other person saying please, and you're going you're gonna to piss off somebody. Right. But you know what? I, I always gave them something that wasn't much. But we always had really good matches, me and Lex, and, and me and Sting as well. Very cool. Um, uh, we had another Clash of Champions after that. It was with Joey Mags. That was I, I, looking, and from what I can see, it looks like that was the beginning of the stretcher era. Oh, okay. Because he was put on a stretcher, and you jumped out of the ring, kicked it over, and that's the first reference I can see to that, though. Right. Now, I want to say that um, Ole started that stretcher stuff, and then when Dusty was coming in, he brought it back around. So that was probably the first time, maybe. Okay. <coughs> um, then we get to Wrestle War 91, and this is another uh, three-man tag. Uh, and this is interesting, too, because we started the episode with Night Stalker, right? And uh, the worst match of the 90s. This one, six-man tag, is considered the best match of 91. And it was with, or sorry, it's an eight-man tag. It's you, Flair, Wyndham, and Larry Zabisco against Pillman, Sting, and the Steiners. Right. Well, you have the whole, the future of the wrestling business right there, and then you got Ric Flair, did you say? Yep. There you go right there. And that's something you said earlier on another show about how WCW just had such a great pool of talent. And you just said just a little bit of it right there, just a little bit. Yeah. You have, I don't know if Larry was ever a main eventer, but everybody else here was main eventers at some point. Right. Now, Larry would tell you he was, but he never was. Yeah. <laughs> he was married to the boss's daughter, man. Oh, okay. Uh, in AWA, from my understanding. Hey, Larry. <laughs> Larry sucks. <laughs> but yeah, that's considered the best match of 91. Um, now, in this time, somewhere in here, you're contacted by WWE. How did that story start? Well, we'll talk a little bit about it. And then I'm gonna put it in the book, like, uh, and put it in the pile, the rest of the pile, that stuff. No, what it was is I had a chance to look for, you know, I had a chance to talk to the WWF at the time with Titan Sports and <clears throat> called Vince. We ended up having a meeting, I ended up going there. Part of it going there was to do the match you're talking about, do the stretch match where if I would have stayed, you know, we was going to stretch your elegante for me to leave. I was going to let him stretch your me. And that's what you, I think you're bringing a reference to. Uh, yeah, that is the next one there. Um, and that's what I was going to say. Actually, you just answered both of those questions. Talking about El Gigante. And was that loss because of that call? Right. It was because of that call. And, you know, um, I don't want to talk about that call right now. But it was a, you know, it's nothing I ever regretted. But it was a big chance I took. And I never regret those things. But, um that's what that was about. Okay. So um, <clears throat> going into that match, uh, had you ever worked with El Gigante before? Because he, he seemed relatively new at that point. He was. He was a basketball player for the Atlanta Hawks that wasn't making the team. Uh, really nice guy. Um, but, you know, someone that big, he was just – I remember the first time I met him, he was sitting on the toilet <clears throat> when I came in the bathroom, and he was still taller than I was. <laughs> I was like, wow, man. No, he didn't have the suit on at that point, did he? No, he didn't have the suit on, yeah. man. Okay, that's good. I, I remember that, sadly. 
everyone remembers that sadly. So now, um, when you when you've decided you're going to leave, what were things like at WCW for you at that point with them? Man, Dusty was coming in. This is the thing is, I feel so bad about it because I threw away a heck of an opportunity. Dusty was so nice to me. I would have had a chance to really get to know him. I probably would have advanced myself in the business side. I would have been a booker before that. He was he. We would have got along, and um, but he let me call Vince to see it. He told me, he said, man, this is what he was so cool. Instead of, I gave my notice, and <clears throat> I think I had two months to go or something like that, and he came to me and said, he said, man, you want to go home? I said, yeah, I do. He said, you go home, man. Don't worry about this. And I didn't think about it at the time, but it was almost it was stupid, first of all, but it was like double-crossing him. And he would give me the green light to get as much money as I wanted for WCW, but I left it on the table for uh, contracts for one show for $250, you know, and then trusting that I'm going to get this done, you know, but again, I never regret it. I did pretty good. Yeah, I'd say so. So looking back at that first run of the WCW, is there anything in there that you would change? I wish it <clears throat> I had to had that long deal. If, I can't determine those things. If it were, where it happened, happened. I wish that hadn't happened. Other than that, I would have, I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have made that call, <laughs> you know, for sure. Because this thing is, is I wasn't ready. That's a great place. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and I learned so much from that place. And what makes me as good as I am today, I think, as far as my knowledge for the business and stuff. But um, no, I would have preferred to have done it when I was more mature, um, knew the business as well as I could knew it, know, you know, know it, really know everything. As good as I did say, it's that last run of Cycle Sid where <clears throat> I, I learned the business a tough way, Rob. I told you about the whipping post. I was on that whipping post, and that'll smarten you up. You know what I mean? And uh, a lot of guys don't get off that whipping post, and I, I got off of that thing, dude. Yeah, you bounced a couple times, so you were on the post a couple times. Well, really, I was on the post only that one time. Um, and then going to WWF the first time, I swear put, that was a whipping post move. That was stupid, you know, but I did that to myself. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking about. <laughs> well, I think I get it, because WWF at that point was the big, big show. It was. It was the big show. I was guaranteed this, guaranteed that, but it was all on a handshake. And, um, but I still had a good time. Excellent. So now, coming out of WCW into WWF, you're starting, like, well, I'm not going to say starting. You had popularity, because you're on television, you're doing things. Did things change for you around here? Yeah, you know, of, of course, when you get money, you can buy your own home and everything, th things change. But, you know, these, this, I like this town, especially Marion. It's um, not like most little small towns. They're not set up, you know, you can't put them on their heels like, hey, they're Sid Vicious. You know, you know they just, they're small country people. They're not going to know who you are. And, uh, they'll be kind to you. But I guess being around from this area, I'm pretty comfortable with that. That's good. And, and also making the jump, that was good with your, your family too. Like you said, you have an amazing support. They were, they were good with this. Well, that's the thing is, Sabrina never questioned me about anything. She just supported me. You know, um, again, everything I did, I think I asked her about it first always. And, but this, whatever, we said, let's take that chance, you know. And she, um, but we, good, of course, you know, support systems, everything. Oh, yeah, you can't survive without it. <clears throat> so was it during this run in WCW that you met Barry? Actually, I met Barry in the first run, 
uh, right after right after I came back. Actually, I think I met him before the lung surgery, but I remember really knowing him when I came back because he's the one who got me with the Halloween Havoc thing with Elvira. I think he had something to do with that. With Elvira? Yeah. What? Uh... She was like the... We did a commercial with her where they put me on this like slab like I was Frankenstein because I remember I had the singlet on and I wore the singlet to hide that scar. <clears throat> of course, you know, that was dusty idea when he came back. Tell Sid to take that singlet off. You know, so... <laughs> well, that's a dusty thing. Yeah. <laughs> so Barry was the one who got you in a commercial with Elvira. Right. We did the commercial for the pay-per-view, Halloween Havoc. It was really cool. So now I see why Barry's your friend. Yeah, of course. If he can get you in a commercial with her. Right, man. That's awesome. So this has been a long friendship. Right, exactly. Oh, wow. I didn't, I, I didn't realize it was that long. No, see, God, Frankie's 36, 37, and I guess Frankie's on four, so we've known each other 32 years. Well, actually, you brought up your son for a second. I want to ask you one question about that. How does it feel to have a famous son? You know, it's weird. When he was on that show, it was like he was Elvis Presley. Um, I'd stop somewhere and go, I think, hey, that person must recognize me. Hey, you're Frank's dad. And then I was at the track running. The girl comes to me and starts almost crying. Oh, you're Frank's dad. Like, no, I'm Sid Vicious, man. <laughs> not anymore. No, not anymore. What was it like? Did he ever tell you about his experiences on that show? Yeah, we talked a little bit about it. You know, I don't want to bum rush him. and He's not all for that kind of stuff, but... Is really, he, I think, signed up to do all these shows. And, you know, if you watch the show, he he used to hold the record for winning the most immunity challenges. Now, he won the physical ones, but he won all the mental ones, too, where, you know, Frankie graduated at University of Memphis, I think, out of five years, he made the national dean's list four years. So he was really smart as well. But, um, no, he, 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 I think he, he, uh, he wanted more out of that than what he got. He was hoping that that really wanted to kickstart his acting career, which he got hooked on acting at the film festivals. And then he came on set with me when we did the movie <clears throat> Get Ready to Rumble. And he had, used to sit there at night with uh, Oliver Platt. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, Oliver Platt. Uh, uh, the old man in the movie. Oh, uh, blah, 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 blah. oh, you're putting me on the spot too. Oh, <laughs> man. We'll come back to it. But he was uh, the old trainer, Mark Landau. There we go. They sit there and have a uh, coffee with rum. And, man, he fell in love with that stuff. He wanted to do that. You know, we went down on Sunset Strip, went to a strip club, the whole nine yards, you know. So he wanted to do that. That's what he was hoping to get out of that. And and then he wanted to get on more of those shows. And he he got back a second time, but he was such a threat. I think they kicked him off like the second week. <laughs> Well, when when I mentioned it to a coworker, she looked at him and goes, "Oh yeah, it's that guy. Oh, he was such a dick." Really? And I'm thinking, "Oh, he's a heel, just like his dad." Though she said that about him. Yeah, <clears throat> it was funny watching that for my wife. It was tough, and she'd cry almost every night. And um, for a, even for me, a tough guy, it was, it's tough watching that. Where everybody's, "Yeah, he's going to get kicked off tonight." I said, "Yeah, it's part of the show," and. Uh, but when you hear the the girls that came on there, really the the, the uh, old coaches that came on, one girl said, "Yeah, he uh, reminds of, reminds me of someone who broke my heart, you know, because he's good looking." And, and then I guess all the guys were jealous of him, you know. And then I think that old lady on the show that um, 
was it lady runs the show i have to confess i've never watched the Chinese show went, oh yeah um asian lady she runs the show he always thought that she had a crush on him oh, okay yeah well see and i even found it funny too because like she did say okay oh he's such a dick on that show right but the very next question was because i run the comic-con is he coming to comic-con too right <laughs> it's like okay no you just like him because he's a bad guy that's yeah. that's that's what it is with the heels well, you know, Frankie's not like me, man. He's a good kid. Yeah? Yeah. Well, and that's what I wonder, too. A lot of those shows, it's editing. Right. You know, they show you what they want to show you. Well, like you think about, when I think about what I saw with him on that show, it was always <clears throat> him sitting out like on a beach, you know, with all his body muscles showing, his gold hair showing. It, you can't like a good-looking guy like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, he loved Barry as well. See, and that's what I, I, that's what I think that whole show is. Now, uh, they mentioned that you actually had a, a spot on there. Yeah, what it was, they came here and taped uh, at the house where me and Sabrina and Gunnar and Sabrina's mom were there and just, you know, showed us sitting around watching him on TV, what it really amounted to. That's cool. Well, I'm going to ask you one more question because uh, we brought up Ready to Rumble. Right. And I know we're not at that point, but I'm, I'm always dying to know. What did you think of the David Arquette gimmick, bringing him into the WCW and putting him in the putting the belt on him. I thought, like everybody, Rob, I thought it was stupid. But at the same time, I'm just going to sound be so repetitive that I I don't care about the, the that part of the business. If if they got to do that and they think that's what it takes, I don't want to question that because that's not my job. Now, if I was the one in charge, that would have never happened. You know what I mean? And now it's, it's easy to go back and criticize that, but as much as it's been criticized. It must be still it's still being talked about. So it actually got heat with somebody. You know what I mean? So now we talked about what it was that Vince Russo and Ed Ferraro was trying to plan where they had their own show and everything. So that might have got them close to that. You know what I mean? But again, I would have never done it ever. Well, they were also trying to do cross promotions too, and that was a big cross promotion with the movie. Right. Well it was too. Like I said, that's I think that was part of it. And maybe them rubbing elbows with, you know, David Arquette, you know. Because yeah, that, that brought the triple cage match. Right, exactly. Yeah. Did you ever compete in one of those? Man, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I really wasn't a cage match person, you know. They they were awkward and couldn't take bumps in there. Not that I could take bumps anyway, but no, I just, uh, when they meant something, and a couple I was in that actually meant something, I was in some cage matches with Bret Hart. Uh, where we did some tremendous business. Uh, I remember selling out one night, me and Brett, at, I think, the Joe Lewis Arena, and right next to us was the Detroit Red Wings playing at the other arena, or vice versa. You know what I mean? Both of them sold out. So we had some good cage matches, me and Brett. If you can sell out next to the Red Wings, that's impressive. That's impressive, dude. Yes. Well, on that note, we'll end it and go to a call. There you go, man. My time is yours. Okay, and now it's time for our phone-in. We have Anthony here from Chatham. What do you got for us, Anthony? Well, I have a question for Sid here. Uh, back in your wrestling days, how much of that was scripted and how much of it was just spontaneous? It, it really depended on uh, who you were working with and the time in the business. Back in earlier days in wrestling, a lot of it was spontaneous. They would just say, this is the finish, you know, um, one, two, three, this guy or that guy or count out or DQ. And then let the two guys or the four guys or the 10 guys come up with everything they want. 
today you'd say it's from my understanding it's all scripted I mean from the minute you walk from the in the back to the minute you walk back to the back and I've seen the guys there, you know, they every step walk to the ring, they know where they're at, they know where they're on outside the ring where they're at. Which I like that to a degree because you take away the possibility of mistakes and error. But we see what the product has done. It is it's gotten people disinterested in it because I'm gonna leave it simple, it's gonna sound really stupid, but I think when you don't have any mistakes, it becomes boring. I think that's what it's pretty much proved that's what's happening they tried to and i think that's what they tried to i could be wrong about this but they i saw them do a spot years ago in one of the matches where uh the guy actually where he messed up but he didn't really mess up used to the people would go you fucked up you fucked up when they just they didn't react at all because they knew that that spot wasn't real they could see through that and that to me was a and again i don't know if that really happened or if that was just because uh, i don't watch the show a lot it was a fluke but when I saw it happen and the people didn't react, I said, man, they know what's going on. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Um, again, answer your question. Back in the day, it was less script. Just you knew the finish. And then today, I think it's totally script out. Mm. Yeah. And, and like you said, you can tell. Yeah. Which is good. I mean, it, it's a good what we call finished product. I mean, it's well shined and. Everybody's doing a good job. I don't know other than, you know, I just put it a weird way again saying that you don't see any mistakes. If you don't see a mistake, you go, man, this can't be real. You know, for instance, when, you know, wrestling fans used to come up to me and say, Sid, I know wrestling is fake. And I'd go, yeah, you're right. It is. And I'd go, no, but that one time I saw this and it was real. And I'd go, no, you just said it wasn't real. But no, Sid, you know, the one time I saw this and I went, no, that it wasn't real for that guy either, you know. So, <laughs> they want to think they saw that that one time. You know what I mean? They want to believe in right. kayfabe. Yeah, right. the the, the actual incidents of legitimate, you know, heat or shoot wrestling that sort of thing is pretty rare. Um, if it's if it's really happening, it's uh, as I understand it. And I, I, okay, my connection to the world it, is through an, uh, an indie friend of ours and all. But uh, as I understand, it, if that sort of thing is happening in the ring, it's usually a punishment. Somebody screwed up, and you know the promoters get getting their getting their punishment in kind of thing. That's how I understand it, or I've heard yeah. it anyways. Now that happens like once in every two. Oh yeah, yeah, I, oh, I it's rare. Yes, about. yeah, and that's very <laughs> rare. I, I hope that that hasn't happened in the last two million years, but I mean, it's possible that it has. But no, it's uh, no, usually it's uh, again, it's just basic. Used to, it was more wide open. People ab libbed a lot, just concentrated on the finish because we found out that's the only thing they're going to remember anyway. And then um, yeah, yeah. nowadays no story, they they script it out right across the end. Yeah. Alrighty. Thank you so much, Anthony. And uh, we will get ready for our next episode. You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle Podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi. 